Today is a very special day as we come to the beginning of Holy Week, as I mentioned. And it's hard for me to believe it's here already. And uh, it just seems to have come very quickly, this Holy Week and the beginning of this special time as we move through these events, all these deep and uh, passionate events of Jesus that lead to his crucifixion. But today is a day of celebration when there was excitement in the crowd. The people were up. They thought something was happening in Jesus, that he was going to be received as a king. They had no idea what was to come. He had an inkling, I'm sure, but they did not. And so the anticipations were high. People were excited. And there was an energy and uh, uh, just this, well, I don't know quite what to say, except that there was just this feeling in the air that something amazing was coming. And indeed it was. And that donkey, as it began to make procession into the city of Jerusalem, did so one foot at a time. That's how animals and people travel generally, one foot at a time. Of course, in Jesus' day, the mode of transportation was to either ride on an animal or to walk. It must have been a hot and dusty day, that first Palm Sunday. Else why would they have strewn their garments and the palm branches on the ground before him to keep the dust down? As the animal made, uh, as the animal that was carrying Jesus moved along, the disciples were following along, and they were doing that one foot at a time. They were singing, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, even the very stones would shout out. Something amazing was happening. It's just that the people didn't know its full significance. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem launched Jesus into all that was to lie ahead in Holy Week. We commemorate it every year. Since we're tracking with Peter, however, this year as part of the Peter principles, for those of you who have been here most Sundays during Lent, we're not going to put our primary focus today on Palm Sunday. But instead, we're going to move to a significant event that took place in the upper room when they were celebrating the Passover meal. Because for most of you who come today and then wait and come next Sunday, we jump all the way from Palm Sunday to Easter without experiencing and thinking about all the various activities that took place during Holy Week. So today, we're going to follow with Peter in the upper room. But first, I want to say, I want to say a quick word about feet. And in case you're wondering, yes, this will be a very soulful sermon. <laughs> a mother, a mother, Lorraine Vinson, shares this story. The other day, my three-and-a-half-year-old son put on his sandals, and he walked up to me proudly. I looked down and said, Johnny, you're, you've got your shoes on the wrong feet. And with eyes as big as quarters, he said, Mommy, these are the only feet I've got. 
So I want you to take a quick look at your feet. Go ahead. Look down. Look down at your feet. These are the only feet we've got. We may make mistakes from time to time, but these are the only feet we've got to take us through life. For most of us, these feet of ours are taken so for granted. Not for everyone, but for most of us, our feet are taken for granted. That is until we stub a toe, get a blister, have an accident, or are no longer able to walk in life. And then, all of a sudden, we realize how important feet can be. In Jesus' day, people didn't have flat tires. They had sore and tired feet. Nothing could be more soothing than to have someone pour cool water over your feet, especially at the end of a long day. And amidst an impending betrayal, Jesus got up from the table. He, he took a pitcher of water. He girded himself with a towel. And he bent down and he washed. He washed the disciples' feet. He poured the water over them and massaged them a little bit. And he cooled and washed their feet. It was at this point that we hear Peter and Jesus having a bit of a disagreement. Peter, as we have seen, was anything but passive. He was always there, always willing to speak up, always ready to blurt something out, even if it meant putting his, well, foot in his mouth. So as Jesus was making his way around the table, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered, you do not know what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. And Peter said, you're never going to wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my head and my hands. And Jesus said, the one who's bathed doesn't need to wash except for the feet, but he's entirely clean. You're clean, though not all of you, because he knew who was to betray him, and that's the reason he said, not all of you. Bold and brash Peter bound from one extreme to the other. You're not going to wash my feet. I'll have no part of this to don't stop with my feet. Give me a complete once-over. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He was looking for participation in what was to become a very symbolic act. Our text goes on in verse 12. After he had washed their feet and put on his robe and returned to the table, he said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for that's what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to also wash one another's feet. For I've set you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. And if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Jesus set an example and through it expressed a profound truth about the nature of God. In Jesus, God chooses to, receive, to reveal God's self through servanthood. Through servanthood. 
the downward pull, as we see in Jesus, he, he stooped down to wash their feet, is not a movement away from God, but it is a movement toward who God really is. A God who came to serve and to give, not, not to rule. That triumphant ride into Jerusalem was a politic, was not, it was not a political posturing for an earthly kingship. Rather, it was for being a suffering servant and a Lord of love. Jesus' example of serving his disciples demonstrates very specifically that God wants to be known in and through service. It is God's self-revelation. Now, I want to stop right here and, and confess that I'm really not interested in washing your feet. <laughs> and furthermore, I'm not too keen on the idea of any of you washing my feet either. <laughs> Times have changed since the first century. And if people run around trying to wash one another's feet... They are merely mimicking Jesus, and they miss the simple depths he was displaying. Action as a discipline of compassion requires the willingness to respond to the very concrete needs of the moment, one foot at a time. I don't remember Gus Ganakis Though some of you might, he was the former Michigan State basketball coach long before Tom Izzo and Judd Heathcote. But he had an assistant, um, and um, John, actually, Gus was the assistant, and John was the head coach, John Bennington. And I read this story recently about the two of them and an experience they had when they were trying to recruit a very famous basketball player. We made a lot of trips to Detroit from East Lansing when we were recruiting the great Ralph Simpson. One afternoon, we got a call that Ralph was ready to sign his letter of intent to Michigan State. John and I took off. It was tense, rocketing along the highway. We passed four elderly people next to a bro broken-down car, old car, with a flat tire. John stopped, and I pleaded that we didn't have time. I was afraid that Simpson would change his mind. And John said, Gus, you always have time to help people. I never forgot that. We landed Simpson, so I guess we got to Detroit on time. And Gus reflected, that was the most meaningful Christian experience in his entire athletic career. You see, friends, there is no traffic jam when you go the extra mile. There's no traffic jam when you go the extra mile in helping someone else. And how do we help when going the extra mile? Just one foot at a time. The form of service our lives take on depends on what step of the journey we find ourselves on in terms of the wins, the wheres, and the whos in our life. 
Throughout Lent, we've been tracking with Peter as he followed Jesus up to and, and through Holy Week as we've been exploring and applying the Peter principles. To review, beginning with the first Sunday of Lent, our Peter principles are, I just want to lift these up for your memory. Number one, if the Lord calls, follow. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Two, when you see something special, say so. Jesus asks, who am I? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Three, when you start to sink in life, stay focused on the Lord. As Peter began to sink while walking on the water, he refocused on Jesus. Four, counting misses the mathematics of forgiveness. Peter asked, how many times are we to forgive? Seven? And Jesus replied, no. Seventy times seven. Five. Be careful how you boast. You may have to eat crow. Peter said, I will never deny you. And Jesus said, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And guess what? He did. He did. And for today, it takes a special example to be a master server. In Jesus' culture, foot washing was the perfect example. The point is not following that literally, that example, but the specialness of its symbolic significance as a lifestyle of service. We have to find the ways to apply that in our own lives of service. Jesus was a master, a master server. His actions aligned with who God called him to be, to be the best Jesus he could be because he aligned himself with God's will. The medical missionary, Albert Schweitzer, who followed the example of Christ to remote Africa, said he ministered more by example than anything else. Here's what he said. Example is not the main thing in life. It is the only thing. The only thing. He was fond of quoting an ancient Chinese proverb as well. Not the cry. But the flight of the wild duck leads the flock to fly and follow. I am convinced it is the way Jesus treated the disciples and led by example that formed the foundation of their faith as much as any of the words he spoke. Think about the way you have grown in your Christian faith. Yes, words matter. But you have been touched by others who have shown you what it's like to live a Christ-centered life. And when you see that and experience that in somebody else, either the way they've treated you or you've seen them act with others, your faith foundations are strengthened. Jesus is not only the Word, so words are important. 
He is the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said. Following in the way of service is to follow Jesus. You know, I often think of St. Francis of Assisi when I think of these things, integrating the way of Christ into one's lifestyle. You know, he was, a, he was kind of a wild and uh, raucous young person growing up. But after his conversion, he changed and became one of the most lovable people in Christian history. There's a story about him that says a lot about the time of, type of person he was. One day, so the story goes, St. Francis said to a monk, let's go into the village and preach. So off they went. But instead of talking, he patted a dog in the town, helped a, an older woman across the street, stopped to comment on the beauty of a weed of all things. He spoke most kindly to all the people that they passed in their walk around the square, and then the two of them headed for home. But master, said the monk, we came to preach. We have done so, said the saint. We just went about loving people, the dogs, and life. That was itself a sermon. Jesus went around the table serving the disciples one foot at a time. When we merge our lives with the way of Christ, we take on a way of service one step at a time, one action at a time. The stoles that we wear week in and week out, they have different symbolisms, but one of them is the symbol of the towel. So each time I put this stole on, it reminds me that I'm called to a life of service. As you think about your life, think of how you're called to a life of service. There's nothing flashy or magical or instant about service. It takes time, it takes energy, and it takes a giving spirit. And it usually happens like, well, like walking one step at a time. With everything going on in the world right now, I, I think of Ukraine and, and the countries around it, and, and um, you'll understand why I'm building up to this because I want to tell a story, but I think back to my childhood and I'm embarrassed to say that I grew up telling Polak jokes. I'm embarrassed about that. I didn't know any better. I know better now. I have to say I'm very, very admiring of the people in Poland for all they're doing to take on the millions of refugees fleeing into their country. Ignacy Paderewski was a pianist in Poland. He was born in Ukraine, but he was a pianist in Poland. He later became prime minister and, and uh, actually in 1919 signed the Treaty of Versailles. But in his earlier days as, a, as a, an accomplished artist, he, he wanted to go to a small, out-of-the-way village in the hopes of cultivating the arts in rural Poland. So a, a mother wanting to encourage her young 
son to keep playing the piano got tickets for this performance. And that evening, as the Steinway was rolled out onto the stage, everybody was there. And without thinking, the mother turned and was visiting with a friend for a few minutes, as things were, you know how it is when you, when you mingle and chat before a concert begins. And without noticing, her son had slipped away. Well, he found his way up onto the stage. But not until the lights dimmed and everybody got quiet did Mother notice he was seated at the piano. And everybody began to hear, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Well, the stagehands began to run out and and, uh, whisk him away. But just before they got to him, Podorowski got there first. And he sat down next to him. And he said, he whispered, he said, Don't stop. Keep playing. Keep playing. And Paderewski put his left hand on the keyboard and began to fill in some of the bass notes. And then he put his arm around him with his right hand and began to add some obligato. Pretty soon, the entire crowd was mesmerized by what they were doing together with Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Nothing transforms life more than having the strong touch and voice of the Master who forever surrounds us with his love, whispers in our ear time and again, don't quit. Don't quit. Keep playing. But not only does he encourage us to continue in our feeble way, he weaves into our work his obligados, and supplements our melody with with his glorious, beautiful harmony. What is created then is ours, but created all the same by the touch of the Master's hand. Don't quit, people of Neighborhood Church. Keep serving. Keep serving. Only he who took up the cross could say to us, Take up your cross daily and follow me. Peter Peter did just that. Oh, not without bumbling and stumbling. But he applied the principles he learned in following Jesus. And he became a powerful instrument for building the church after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. From Peter's discussion with Jesus during the foot washing, we learn... It takes a special example to be a master servant. That example, that master servant, is Jesus Christ, our Lord, who showed us the way, one foot at a time. Amen.